How's it going? How's Long going? time no see. Yeah, it's going. Uh, yeah, right. I know. It's pretty funny. Like, I see you there, but I don't see any first-time NFL head coaches standing near you. So, it's kind of a weird experience for me. <laughs> I think the last time, last time I saw your face, that was going on. Yeah, but you saw just the uh, after effects of that, right? You didn't see that in the moment, I don't believe. No, but I, uh, I saw where I saw where things had headed. So okay, well that's teasing too much ahead, and we can't include any information from the uh, the recent trip out to Phoenix because there are only two of us here tonight as uh <clears throat> one member of the podcast is a little bit under the weather and is going to have to uh join us next time to talk royal rumble trip yes so point break dave has once again let down everyone and not made an appearance tonight so it, things were a little weird over there so we've been kind of talking there was some travel midweek travel by me that prohibited our usual recording night and the plan kind of always was to get it taken care of Saturday and point break. Dave was unusually quiet during the day today. <laughs> In fact, I don't think we heard from him hardly at all all day today. And just kind of getting into the evening hours and Glenn said, Hey, are we, uh, we still doing this or what? And, uh, and that's when we got the text. Hey guys. Yeah. I think the, uh, the text was the entire house is sick. AF I think is what, uh, is what we got. So a lot of a lot of bottom problems going yes. on over in the Dave household. Thoughts and prayers to the American Standard at Point Break Dave's house. <laughs> that is a tough that's a tough way to go right there. Yeah. And it must be pretty bad because I believe I floated the idea of, hey, well we could even try to record tomorrow afternoon and Dave was already waving that off. He was uh that was not making it up to minimum speed and was being directed by officials back to pit lane <laughs> to be parked for the remainder yeah. of the uh, for the remainder of the race. Yeah, he was definitely for the weekend. He was put. He was just putting it on the trailer. And he's like, "We'll we'll just go to we'll go to Richmond next week and we'll see how we can do there." But not happening this weekend. Quick aside, and I know our our goal for this episode is to actually talk about true detective but did you did you happen to see the uh the nascar test that went down yesterday any any of the results of that i only saw a little bit of a little bit of footage but not like the great details from it it was pretty interesting they're uh they're doing they're going about it in a slightly different way but they're essentially making it where all the mile and a half tracks so so tms here in our backyard so every or twice a year when you get a little case of TMS, they're making it like a restrictor plate race where everybody's going to be bunched up, where David Reagan and Matt DiBenedetto are running near the front. So they, they pulled back on the amount of horsepower in the cars, right? Right. Wasn't that but, a, big, a big player here? Right, but they the way they did that was essentially by you know restricting or limiting uh, the engine, which took away any competitive advantage that the big teams had. And uh, there was one particular driver that was quite outspoken about what a ridiculous idea this was. Any guesses who that driver uh -oh. was? Um, does he drive a car with candy <laughs> featured prominently on it? Let's put it this way. If you wanted maybe some Skittles or M&Ms, this guy could probably <laughs> has an inside track to help you out with those. 
So he was on the forefront of restrictor plates or super gay. Well, first of all, in these PC times, in fact, have you accounted for all your high school yearbooks? <laughs> I was reading a little bit about this, but I, that's a that's a a blackface controversy, right? Well, yeah, but it has to do with the yearbook. I I believe okay. uh, I believe back in the early '80s that was okay to put in the yearbook. So, uh, no, I don't think I have any yearbook concerns, um, and I don't know much about this dude that is defending himself. I guess today or had a press conference today. Let me just get out in front of it. I'm against anything blackface related, okay? As far as like a white person doing that. Um, but are we also somebody in a prominent political position? We're now going to oust them for a picture they took in like 1982. Like that's is that relevant? Well, this guy was a, this guy's a governor, so yeah. So he's a really bad governor, or? How's that shaking out? I might let you do the rest of this podcast solo and just kind of slowly back away from the mic. And So let's just say he's the best governor. It was at Virginia. Is that where it was? It is, yes. Okay, so he's the best governor Virginia has ever had, and everyone loves him. And then he's got a high school classmate that says, hey, check out this yearbook. Look at this picture. We're running him out of town automatically well and you know he's come out today and said that's not even him in the picture it, it doesn't even look like me that guy's black <laughs> these jokes just write themselves but did you hear did you hear the interesting side note did you hear what his nickname apparently was in the early 80s uh like uh, hot carl no so his his nickname was and i'm going to be very careful here because we are a uh, faith-based podcast his nickname uh -oh. was Con Man, but add another O to Con Man. <laughs> oh no! So oh no! So imagine this guy's bad luck. He okay. has this picture of not him in blackface taken, and also has that nickname. Can you even do the math on the coincidence that that is? <laughs> yeah. Now, now all of a sudden I'm. I'm starting to step back from the I'm erasing where I signed the screen earlier slowly. Was it written You're in permanent hitting, what, what is it? A control Z, the uh, undo button. Just see yes. that a few a few times till the screen gets back to clear. Yeah. Uh, I saw bits and pieces about that controversy today, but that that's about it. I have not looked in depth, so I do not have an in-depth informed opinion as of yet. I just have I just have a lot of question marks when it comes to it's 2019. Look what someone said to somebody or took a picture of in 1981. And if that really, yeah, it might've not been that great, but. Or maybe like say a Milwaukee bullpen hand that strikes out like 13 per nine might've tweeted when he was 14 years old. You don't think that's enough should get you run out. Uh, we all did a lot of dumb stuff when we're, 14 or 15 so i think you know my stance on that as well because that's hit a lot of that's hit a lot of people recently oh yeah some harder than others i think your, sta your stance was your stance was if they had had facebook and twitter when you were in high school then uh no i i think 
yeah, my stance was if they'd had Twitter when I was in like middle school and high school, there'd have been all these tweets about my Tecmo Super Bowl achievements. <laughs> and that's about it. But but you would have you've been just wearing regular face when all those tweets were being yeah. made? Just normal I, face? Yeah. Put this in ten inch headlines. I'm always in normal face. <laughs> and that's it. So I think the only, uh, not the only, but I think the primary uh, black man I want to talk about is Purple Haze. Yeah. In, in True Detective. So you want to you want to segue over there to episode? We're going to cover episodes four and five. Yeah. So obviously we're going to start with four. We got a little got a little bit of a treat. They HBO released the uh, the episode that actually will technically premiere on TV, which is weird. Uh, it'll actually premiere Sunday during the Super Bowl. Uh, they released it early on the streaming services. I can only imagine they did that because the episode would be airing during the Super Bowl. And it made little sense to um, not allow your audience the chance to consume it beforehand. So we thank them for that. But yeah, I got the little surprise. And, and the way it worked out, I don't know if your viewing experience was the same as mine. As the same as mine. And we'll, and we'll go through the episodes in detail. But... The episode four ended into a pretty, pretty serious cliffhanger, and it was nice to just be able to click right onto episode five and see where that. Oh yeah, up. yeah. So not having and, to, not having to wait a week. I watched them back to back. And yeah, perhaps, uh, perhaps somewhat by design, them knowing you know when they're gonna start this thing and how it all would play out, you know, corresponding with the Super Bowl and all that. So, but yeah, episode four. Um, Moving forward along in the uh, investigation, and we gonna start out at the old church. Yes. We're pull up to St. Michael's. So, do we feel like the that's a another in the long line of CD TV pastors? This guy. Yeah, he gives off a real, you know, calmly speaking vibe that just kind of weirds you out. I don't know. I don't know how best to describe it, but. I, obviously that's to some extent to make him people think that is this guy is this guy involved in this somehow i should be suspicious of this guy well yeah and the um the fact that the he had just a uh, a full wall dedicated to the i guess post baptism photos but they're all just so creepy when they're lined up together yeah well it wouldn't be true detective if it wasn't creepy at all and of course they asked him you know, uh, who took these pictures? And he's like, well, well, I did. <laughs> and then I'm just like, oh, man, I don't know why, you know, I want to immediately distance, but I'm like, you know, maybe get a vendor or something to come in and take some shots. And you just, yeah, you know, just get like life touch photography like they do for the kids uh, when they have their sports right. photos. Yeah. Why are you taking pictures? You should be over there in second <laughs> Corinthians getting ready for next week. You know, like yeah. watching film like Peyton Manning. I believe it's two Corinthians. <laughs> well, it is if you wear a red hat, it is. Speaking of red hats, did you see he golfed again with Tiger Woods today and he was just wearing a red hat that just said USA on it? <laughs> so so generic. He's man, that guy is I, I've always thought essentially my entire life I've thought that guy is a buffoon, but He's winning, man. He this wall thing is gonna stretch out for like the next eighteen months and he's gonna run for re election just based on the wall and probably gonna be there another term. Yep. 
All right, let's go back to True Detective before we, we have a political episode. So before before our uh, entire listening audience checks out. Yeah. They ask the CD pastor, uh, they show him a picture of the straw doll, and he references uh, Roland and Purple Haze to a, a member of the congregation that he says makes the uh, makes the straw dolls. And uh, and they go to pay her a visit at her home. Yeah, and she's a... Uh... Can't remember how he described her, but essentially a very, a very good, faithful woman who yes. also <laughs> might use the term to someone's face very casually. That not real comfortable with people doing that these days, but she just threw it right out there in front of in front yeah. of Mister Hayes. She might have might be what we like to call a bit of a racist. Yeah, I think a little bit. She provides a very interesting piece of detail in the case, though, which is that the uh, the suspect that bought 10 of the straw dolls, which was a big red flag because she had said she wasn't selling any of them, and then this guy materializes at the county fair or whatever and buys 10 of them, he has what we like to call a dead eye. Now, I wish Point Break Dave was on the show because he has a dead leg. This guy has what we call a dead eye. He's like an Eskimo brother. Uh, no, no pun intended. Wow. <laughs> yeah, dead eye, maybe milk one, eye. Man. In fact, Eskimo brother, maybe, uh, <laughs> we may have that solved already. Okay. Um, so yeah, and then we go down, further down the, the racism road. <laughs> um, Hayes is like, okay, yeah, so it's, uh, it's a black male. He has, uh, a dead eye, like a cataract. And, he, and he's like, well, what did he look like? You know, was he handsome? Was he ugly? Was he this? And she just looks at him and she basically just said, well, I don't know. He's black. It's basically what she said. Yes. It's the uh, most racist thing you could say without. Uh, I'm not going to say it, but, you know, it's the uh, hey. They all look. OK. Yeah, uh, I know. I wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't go there, but. Okay. But I thought that scene was hilarious because, first of all, you got a couple of cool glances over from Roland, and then <laughs> Purple Haze just gives her just the most Drew McIntyre-esque death stare. <laughs> like, he wanted to deliver the Claymore kick so bad, just right out of her rocking chair. Oh, no doubt. But uh, he just gave her the glare, and then they got uh, they got out of there. And I guess if we stick with the same timeline the next step there was to go visit literally the other side of the tracks and uh go talk to the the guy who well hold on we went across the tracks and then we get another funny moment as uh, they go across the tracks they're like where should we go first and roland's like well i guess we should just go to the liquor store first and purple haze is like well that's pretty effing racist <laughs> And he basically gives them the well, relax, yeah. man. There's like there's like three businesses in this town, and uh, that one just makes the most sense out of the three. Oh, I love the way in every episode that Roland handles the the whenever things go to like the racial component, he just handles it so matter of factly. It's just like the guy the guy just does not does not have any time for any type of racism or care about it at all. And, and whenever whenever Purple Haze tries to go there, he just looks at him like, "What are you doing, man?" Yeah. It's the liquor store. There's three businesses open. Of course we're going to go there. <laughs> yeah. So that's how they uh, 
they talk to a guy there, gives him gives him a name, gives him an address, and then they make it to a uh, um housing development. Yeah, where uh, this guy lives. And by developing, you mean that like if it needed to develop somewhere else, they could easily roll most of the houses wherever that needed to develop. I I didn't. If they all joined the carnival, they could bring their houses with them. Yeah, as the way it was depicted. In this obviously probably took place on a Saturday and Sunday because it appeared that nobody in this said development was working at the time. Okay. Now, now you're turning into Roland. No, I'm all just, of uh, just ma- pointing out some obvious facts that appeared like, appeared like everyone in the development was home because as, uh, as purple haze and Roland approached the, the gentleman that they wanted to talk to, the crowd starting to gather outside, becoming a little restless. Did yeah. you think, when I guess it was a dirt clod hit Roland, did you think he got shot? Because I thought the, when the it, stuff flew in the air, I was like, "Oh man, is that blood?" Like, yeah, they just clip him. Whether he got whether he got shot or not, I I thought he was gonna turn around, and whether he was gonna shoot somebody, but he was gonna. It was about to get very tense. Him pointing a gun and waving it at an entire crowd, which he did actually draw the gun, I believe, and Hayes quickly told him like. What are you doing, man? What are you, an idiot? So they they took it inside at that point, inside the guy's house to to question him a little further. Um, that didn't really reveal anything. No, I, I mean, mean the I, guy basically. I, I think the, about it. Yeah, I think the piece of information which will move on the main narrative of the story is he said, "Hey, man, there's a lot of people running around here that have dead eyes. Pretty much anybody that worked on the chicken line." Which, again, puts more uh, more doubt and suspect around the large chicken plant where uh, where Lucy right. Purcell worked. So yeah. I think I think there'll be more to be uncovered there. But I, yeah, I think uh, I think we can feel pretty confident that this guy's probably not going to factor in more. I hope I don't regret saying this. I, I don't. Hope, I hope no, it doesn't all I, it all traces back to him. But but uh, no, I think I think that um, moving the narrative along is introducing the fact that. Yeah, anybody that works in the chicken line, chicken line's probably lost an eye. So how do they lose an eye in the chicken line? Does it just peck? Is it like a pecking situation? I have no idea. Or I like hope a, OSHA has been informed yeah, I mean, of I these like, developments. Yeah, safety goggles aren't that hard to come by. It shouldn't be. Yeah. So I had one kind of continuity. Maybe it's more of a question at this point. So they're in the house with that guy, and then they walk him out of his house toward their car with Hayes has his gun out. He's just telling everybody, hey, calm down. We're just talking to him, and that's it. And they walk him out toward the car. car. They see that somebody's thrown like a rock or something through the windshield. And then all of a sudden, it's just the two of them driving back. So did they take that guy and question him? Did they just take him to the car and then say, okay, well, I... I thought you were somebody else, and they just got in the car and drove off. I, I didn't. I didn't get that. It may have been a situation where they felt like they needed him to get to the car without getting jumped. Where if they walked out of there alone, and you know they assumed yeah. they left him laying in the in the trailer that that uh, yeah that they had murdered him or something that they uh, they would they wouldn't be able to get out of there. So maybe they just used him as the human shield to get to the car and and then uh, yeah the sh- and then uh, the, sh- the shield <laughs> broke up so. Boy, be, that's true. Do you, do you think if those three took over as the new shield that it would, the storyline would go very far with Milk Eye guy? 
And oh, purple haze. Yeah, because between the three of them, purple haze is probably the only one that could actually work more than like a three minute match. It'd be <laughs> weird. It'd be like, yeah, they have all these tag team matches, but purple haze is, never tags out. Like he's just in the ring the whole time. He's just, he's just like the, and then, then all of a sudden, like he becomes the third street prophet and the shield breaks up again. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. All right. We're digging, we're going to, Going too deep into Arizona trip now. Yeah, I was gonna say, do you think that's a joke that that uh, Point Break Dave, like if when he's sitting on the toilet listening to this <laughs> tomorrow, and he's like, oh, that's that's really funny. Oh, I gotta remember to blot. This is terrible. It's just so painful. He's just he's just laying on his side, and he hears the mention of the street profits, and just slowly gives a <laughs> thumbs up, and then the, the arm just goes limp again. <laughs> and the ref runs in and just ring the bell. This is it. <laughs> I thought I thought uh, I thought there was a funny line when they were driving back in the car and and uh, Purple Haze says, uh, "Can we just say this was uh, you know I don't remember what the the exact term he used, but basically just uh, you know unknown unknown damage to the car and not you know not blame it on the community as it were." And Roland just kind of gave him the knowing nod, like, "Hey, no problem." Yeah, well, that's what I made a note with. With that part and with uh, when they were still at the church and they were outside, I guess, after the service, like the, the, the bond between those two, at least in the 1980 timeline, you can you can see it developing further. And uh, also, I certainly noted that Roland became fond of at least one one lady who attended the church that he needed to go to church more often based on what he was seeing. I'm not going to quote him exactly but yeah might be borderline sacrilege but it was funny that they they cleaned out the church and basically had every single person that was there get fingerprinted because they they feel pretty confident that the killer's part of the church and then roland's just kind of leaning against the car that he sees her start to walk off and he's like excuse me ma'am uh, just a couple more questions for you yeah. <laughs> yeah pulls out the generic notepad and whatnot yeah, I'm gonna need uh need to know your phone number in case I need to get a hold of you. <laughs> yeah, just brilliant, classy move. Um, so they they jump around a little bit at this point. I guess we jump to 1990, and we're resuming with the whole. I guess the task force has been put together. They're reopening the case, and they're just starting to relook at things a little bit. Um. Hayes comes home, and Amelia, very interested in what's going on. She's about to finish and publish her book, but she's very interested in anything else that they come across and what they're discussing and all that kind of stuff. And I think this was in the 1990 timeline, was just a couple of days after her um, her undercover operation with the uh, corny police officer. Right. So yeah, she I think obtained she's, information. Yeah, I think she feels like she's playing detective now, and uh, Wayne is Wayne Purple Haze is not being very forthright with any information. No, in fact, he's he doesn't definitely... even doesn't even tell her that he's pretty much sure that he's found out exactly who she is on the video after combing through all the Walgreens security footage. I hope that one day your life revolves <laughs> around having to just scrutinize Walgreens security footage. I feel like that'll have been a good. Yeah. Good turning point for you. Uh, you never know. Well, they get into a little bit of a spat, if you will. 
Yeah, they they have their I guess uh, their own. Uh, you know, every household is different, but they have their own form of internal marital counseling. <laughs> I would say. Yes, and, they handle uh, their problems a certain way. By internal, do you mean like <laughs> how internal? That was that was worded a certain way for a reason. And I love that. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say I love. I was amused by the children just kind of exchanging the knowing nod with each other as right. Uh, this it, is not the first time. Yeah, it basically sounds like one whole half of the house is trying to be <laughs> taken down by a jackhammer. Well, there was either either a history of that or just yelling and stuff, because he made sure to turn the TV up about five volume levels before he headed upstairs to to confront her on how she was talking to him. Because she was talking to him so badly that he was about to cry. So... In your gated community where you live, have you ever put your children down in front of the TV and just been like, boys, I'm going to turn this up a little bit louder? <laughs> Shut all the doors. Dad's got to make sure the drywall in the house is <laughs> properly installed. Yeah. Um, no further questions. No further answers to those questions, I guess. I was going to say, if you'd like to ask some more questions, you're, <laughs> you're more than entitled to that op- opinion. Yeah, so he, yeah, that one guy was giving Hayes a hard time about reviewing the video. Like, he's like, hey, we've been here, you know, most of the day, and you reviewed five hours. Are you not done yet? Like, at that point, was I was surprised he didn't pull out the gun and just fire off at that guy. I know. I mean, he's like... Or at least give him the, uh, hey, son, this is called police work speech. Yeah, no kidding. He just gave him, he gave him a look, for sure. But no doubt that five-hour guy is like how I would be as a cop. I'd be like, okay, well, <laughs> I didn't hit play and immediately see what I was looking for. Yeah, she didn't hold up a sign with her name on it. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't holding the help me sign. <laughs> so then, uh, 2015, I think that, Hayes is oh he, he goes up to, and his son did, did we know that his son was a cop oh, no, that before was, this that was okay. breaking news and let me tell you if they want to do a spinoff show with him as a detective I'm in I'm a big fan of that guy very understated so, yeah so one he's a cop two that that's a big man like, yeah I don't that, think I picked up on that in the that first is a man, few episodes no that is a man of some size yeah that is a man who could take or administer a suplex pretty easily i think do you think it, the show could be better if like his detective partner was say like another african-american man that was like one-fourth of his size but like talked <laughs> all the time and it just kind of asked him to show the double bicep and in a, in a huge shootout you just see him doing backflips all over the place he's like Always in the middle of the action, but never gets hit by a bullet because he can just backflip right. out of the way. So Hayes shows up because he needs, he needs, uh, what's Purple Hayes' son's name? Do we know? Oh, uh, no. TBD. Lester. Let's call him Bobby. Bobby Hayes. Um, uh, I was going to say, just we'll call him Bobby as like a placeholder uh, name. Okay. Or uh, Leo. No, Bobby. Um, 
Purple needs him to run some names for him. Yeah. He's looking into some stuff. So and he actually handed him a piece of paper with like six or seven names written on it, and one of the names was Roland. Well, but I think that was just to see if he was still alive. No, I mean I think I think that he was he was connecting dots in his in his somewhat scattered mind of people that he felt like he had to talk to, and one of the people was Roland. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So then just sticking with 2015, because um, when they leave there, his son just says, this is another weird... His son's like, hey, I'll drive you home. And then like the next scene, at least on that timeline, Purple Haze is knocking on a hotel room door to talk with the, the podcast lady who's interviewing him. So speaking of things that you noticed, so you said you didn't notice that what we're going to call as placeholder Bobby was a man of such size. Did uh, did I miss the fact of how attra- how attractive the producer was in the first <laughs> three episodes? Um, uh, maybe to an extent. Yeah. So why and... yeah why am I now suddenly like trying to figure out who she is all of a sudden? Well, and there were two wine glasses in that room when they when he walked in because he is a detective even though he's 70 years old and losing his mind he's still a detective and he's looking around he's like am i interrupting something she's like no i was here by myself and he's like oh okay well i'm an old man and i you know i don't i can't keep stuff straight and then his eyes kind of dart over to where those glasses are and he's like i'm not i'm not buying this so here's my other thought during the conversation between purple haze and his son whenever either one of them brought up the whole interview podcast thing that they're doing. Uh, it seemed like the son kind of got a little, got a little fidgety. His body language was Ooh. basically, I think he's the other wine glass. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm trying to tell you is that he's doing the, he's doing the glute pose. So and, if they made uh, like another show that was maybe like not on TV, but was on like a website of those two, I don't. But say like you had to pay like a certain amount of money every month to watch that show, or you, or you could watch like three and a half minutes of it for free. Right. Or there was yeah maybe some kind of a special. I might also be interested in that in that spinoff show too. That's a weird. That's that's a weird spinoff. Well, there could be some spinning going on. Yeah. No, I think I think uh, that she'd fall in that weight class too. So anyway. He goes to talk to her, and she's very much like he's asking her questions. He kind of goes there, and he's like, hey, I'm sorry about the other day. Or actually, I think she apologizes to him because she was getting into basically the investigation being inadequate, and they cut the interview short. And he's like, "Ah, eh, no big deal. He starts asking questions, and she's like, you're not, like, reinvestigating this case again, are you? He's like, oh, of course not. You know, I just – needed some clarification on, you know, whatever. Which is exactly what somebody who had decided they were going to reinvestigate the case would say. But right. She, she provides him a bit of interesting information, which is that they found a skull at the bottom of a lake of, and I believe his name was O'Brien. Yes, but did you did you run it back and take a double take like I did? Because oh. his name is Dan O'Brien, but I'd forgotten that because... <laughs> I went back three times. I thought it was Daniel Bryan. He thought his name was, yeah, his name was Daniel Bryan. Yeah, I did the same thing. And I got so excited. I said, oh my gosh, they've literally put a guy in the show named Daniel Bryan. (laughs) 
but then I was disappointed. It was Dan O'Brien, but whatever. And I don't want to, and I don't want to, because I think you, a lot more comes out in the next episode about this, but I think the fact that she showed him that they found that probably indicates that she also is going down a trail that he may not want her going down, which is that, um, there's a pretty good chance, I think, that Roland and Purple Haze may be responsible for Dan O'Brien's skull being at the bottom of that lake. Perhaps. And uh, we'll we'll get on that a little bit more in in the next episode when they actually get together. But um, but yeah, just just keep that in the back of your mind here for uh, a few minutes when we get to that part of the show. Yeah, because whether it's episode four or five, there are little references here and there about what something that Hayes may have done yeah. and whether that's somebody else mentioning it to him or him in whatever, I guess either in the probably more in the 90 or the 2015, you know, thread, just alluding to that, that he did something or I hope they don't know about this or something that he's hiding. And there's also another, there was another big Easter egg in that scene that I totally missed. I, I read about this on one of the blogs I read after the episode. Did you catch it? I don't, I don't think so. So, in fact, um, I'll send you the screenshot of it uh, afterwards. But, but she has her laptop flipped open, and there's a you know news website that's pulled up, and it has a headline about uh, cops catching serial killer, and it's uh, it's Rust Cole from season one's picture in the story on the computer. Nice. So, connecting, uh, I guess, the 2015 timeline with season one True Detective. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so that was kind of, I mean, it's really like if you're watching it in real time, like it's real subtle, but it's there. It's like somebody, you know, found it, screenshotted it, you zoom in on it, and it's there. Yeah. But hopefully that's certainly not something that they dwell on. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully that's just something that's meant just for that purpose and not, they're not really tying in season three with season one in any way, plot wise. No, I think I, I unless would, I, I would think not because just because the crime took place so much further in the past. Yeah. But that's not to say Russ um, Cole couldn't stop by to help him solve the last little bit of the crime. So episode eight, when this ends, unless this ends with Russ Cole walks in, passes a pool table, pulls off a trick shot, and then basically just solves the murder and walks out. And that's how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in for that. Or, uh, or or even just like uh, if they're back over at um, the 2015 Roland residence and Purple Haze walks in for like the third or fourth time that he's been there and you just hear, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah. Fade to black. Wouldn't be bad episode either. over. That's right. That's right. Um, so I think from this episode, the only other thing... Well, we just need to talk guess, about where it, where it winds up because it does it does leave you at the end at, at quite a quite a shocking cliffhanger. So we got two things in 1980. You got one, you have Amelia that goes to Lucy's house, the kid's mom, to bring some stuff back that because she taught Will English, so so she brings all this stuff like they made at school and whatever that was up there back to uh, back to Lucy. I'd say that. I'd say that interaction did not fare well. No, uh, and and really it was Amelia's fault because Lucy was really open up, opening up to her, and I thought she was about to probably say something that was really important to the case. And instead of playing it cool and just 
acting like the compassionate friend that she needed to be, she immediately says, hey, you know, you could talk to uh, to Wayne Purple Hayes. He's a, he's a good man and he'll listen to you. And that immediately turned Lucy off uh, and back into a real defensive posture where I felt like she was about to say something really important. Yeah. And Amelia... She blew it, man. I think I think she could have cracked the case right there if she'd have just kept her mouth shut and let her just spill her guts. Do you think what she was gonna tell her was I killed my own children? No, but there's something fishy going on because she used some language when she was talking that was really similar to what was on the note. Right. And again, this is kind of merging the two episodes together a little bit, but specifically what she said ended up in Amelia's book that she wrote that Purple Haze never read or never read when he still had what could be considered by most the majority of his mind still functioning. Yeah. That comes up in the next episode. That so, does come up in the next episode. So, but there was there was certainly a uh certainly a, a new dimension added to Lucy's character, especially uh especially, you know, given um how she had been portrayed up to that point, it certainly makes it seem like there may be some more culpability for her than I had first thought. Right. And then we also forgot about something really else important was the interrogation of the, of the teens that happened in this episode too. Oh, that's right. Because Freddie Barnes's fingerprints showed up on the bike that they found in the, in that Creek that was near the cave. And I remember that in the first episode is there's that goofy scene when they're at the park and he is riding a bike. And I thought, well, gosh, is that, is that Will's bike right there? And then they never talk about it. And I, you think, well, maybe that was just, you know, showing that they were being jackasses and then nope, sure enough, his prints were on the bike. Yeah. And we get the, uh, Hey kid, you're going to do life in prison because I guess if you're 18, you're dumb enough to think because they have a fingerprint on a bicycle that that automatically means you're guilty of murder. But they use the or Hayes uses the uh yeah, it's going to be tough in prison. There's I know some guys going to do a lot of bad things to you. Yeah, and uh Hayes is uh Hayes like that's that's like kind of his go-to uh go-to tactic in interrogation is the uh the um, unfortunate thing that might happen in prison, the American History X type. Yeah. Yeah. But they did, but I felt bad for poor Freddie. They did all the just classic, just you could see through them from a mile away, cop tricks. They parade him down through there. They have the convict that they let get a little too close to the jail bars to scare him when, scare him when he's walking in. Then they make sure he sees both his buddies sitting in interrogation rooms, even though they're probably just in there and not talking about anything. Right. And then they immediately pull out the, uh, oh boy, well, your your pals rolled on you, so you might as well just tell us. (sighs) And I feel like in here, here's some advice to all you people out there from me. Whoa. If somebody in an official capacity, like a police officer, tells you that they already know everything, they just need you to tell them, they don't know anything. Don't confirm it. Just keep your mouth shut. That's my advice to you. Keep you out of hey. a lot of trouble. Strong advice. And we're one of the best sources for advice and dealing with the police. That's a weird that's a weird claim that we're gonna have to add to the show bullet points. <laughs> your official podcast of learning how to deal with the police. So the last thing, and this is what concludes the episode is uh trash man 
So we knew from episode three that those guys that beat him up, he was our, our guess is where he was about to set him up for a for a big fall, and he starts to execute his plan. So we're we're pretty sure that he intentionally went out and just talked to those two kids to make sure they saw him, right? Absolutely. Okay, so then his plan was terrible. Well, because if that guy yeah, turns the truck just a little bit, then he gets run over by the truck before he's even close to being able to get back to his house and booby traps and everything he had set up. Yeah, you had to suspend reality a little bit because I thought the same thing as he takes off running down the road barefoot and barefoot and these the trucks it seems like they're pretty well in the distance at first and like 2 seconds later they're almost right on top of him. And he veers off into this field, and they go down the road, which apparently goes about five miles in the opposite direction, and then like circles all the way back around where he can run half a mile. I, I wondered the same thing, like why wouldn't they just veer off the shoulder into that field and just run him down? Yeah, that that's what I thought was going to happen, but 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 somehow through the magic of great Hollywood writing, he gets back to his house that he's clearly been prepped for this situation he's got some explosive devices he's got trip wires already laid out that he just needs to connect and he basically barricades himself in his house with his door booby trapped to blow trip wires around the backyard and he's ready to take these guys out uh, uh vietnam style so they show up and just to get to it quickly the, the guys that had beat him up in the last episode show up they're going to confront him basically they're going to kill him yeah, he's. And they've least, all got guns this time. This is not. Yeah. The warning was delivered. This is. This is going to be the end. And in the five minutes max that it took them to drive to that house, I guess other people saw that they had guns. Called the police in 1980. Did we have 911 back then? There's no way anybody could know that. I don't think anybody could know. I'm not. I, no way I could even try to look it up no, either. I don't. Yeah, I don't even know what you what you type in to look that up. <laughs> The police get notification. It gets to the detectives involved in the kid's case, and they get there all in about 27 seconds. Right. From when the guy's walking to the front door, they somehow stop everything they're doing, get in their car, get all the way over to his house before the guy gets to the front door. It was amazing. It was an amazing bit of police work. So the guy at the front door trying to get into Trash Man's house, he basically says, He's demanding him to come out. And episode, we'll just quickly go from episode four to five, yeah, but episode, episode ends four, it ends with him saying, with him saying, if you're not coming out, we're coming in. Right. And it ends with him kicking the door open. Um, yeah. Preparing to kick open the door that's about to blow. Yeah. And boy did it. And boy did it. And do you know what that, uh, explosive device and or weaponry is called that was set up facing the door that tripped and blew when he kicked the door. I was just going to go with landmine. It's called a claymore. As we hit the McIntyre music. And a, right claymore, kick to the, a claymore kick to the face was delivered. <laughs> Let me assure you, guy who kicked open door at the beginning of episode five did not survive the claymore. He, he did not kick kick out before three. <laughs> yeah, so he might have he might have kicked open the door. He didn't kick out on two. No, not even uh, not even close. In fact, 
And, uh, and once that explosion goes off, all the guys with them start shooting the, uh, it, it turns into it, it. The scene itself wasn't that long, but it turned into quite a raging firefight. Poor Roland takes one in the leg. Yeah. Uh, and I had noticed before that. So when they would show 1990 Roland walking around, he certainly was walking with a limp. So I knew something was going to happen that was going to explain why he had the limp. And uh, the scene progresses to where people are dropping, cops are dropping. Um, I hate to call them bad guys. Actually, they're bad guys, but uh, concerned neighbors that maybe <laughs> overstepped their uh, uh, ability to trust law enforcement. They're dropping like flies. And we, we have Purple Haze gun drawn on the shooter inside the house, and they're alone. The shooter says, hey, I had you dead to rights outside. I put two into the door of the car. You know, I don't miss. And... I'm going to count to three. And if I don't, if I get to three, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to kill you. You've got to kill me. So he's basically doing what they call suicide by cop, which, um, another probably, official term. Yeah. will probably be in one of the three obituaries for the host of the show. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably guessing okay. Rick Dave on that one. Man. He's going to be wearing what wrestling shirt will he be wearing at the time? <laughs> Is that the Riot Squad shirt? He's going to say, just hit me right between the ruby and the riot, please. <laughs> but Purple Haze, yeah, he has to he has to pull the trigger. He, he had no choice. You know, I mean, it was unfortunate for him that they put him in that position, you know, because now he's got to deal with that the rest of his life. But there, there was no choice. I mean, I guess he could have tried to clip him, but that's too much of a too much of a risk because he could he could have winged him and still got shot there. There was really no other option. So then we go back to to 1990 because I think the way the episode went, they we were in 90, and then somebody's looking at the as they re reopened the case and they've got all the pictures from the prior investigation and the current stuff they yeah, found, and, and they had a picture of great. There was bodies and blood everywhere. Right. I mean, just you're looking at those pictures, you're going, oh man, like I hope yeah, they show us what happened here. Right, because somebody said you were there, right? And then it went back and it showed what happened when they, the Claymore kicked, and then we went, uh, we went from there. Um, so they've seen the video, the Walgreens video, and Hayes has spotted what he thinks is Julie. Um, so they've got that. They're looking into that. They're trying to figure out whether it is or not. There's a lot of other stuff that's there including they got a photo of the mom when she od'd on what appeared to be heroin back in 88 in vegas and tom purcell shows up i'm assuming they called him right not the police but the uh the pol the political aspect of this but he walks right into the room and again this guy the entire episode has just been such a dimwit. He's in the room for five seconds, and he he somehow picks up every nuance and detail on the board where he's asking multiple questions about, hey, was that Lucy's uh, autopsy photo or crime scene photo? Hey, who is that girl in the black and white photo? Was that my daughter? Like, there's yeah. no way any human being alive could orient themselves to that huge board of information as quick as he did, especially somebody with Tom's IQ and have that many questions at the ready. 
Roland's still trying to play the political game a little bit. He doesn't he doesn't want to get Tom involved because I think he has a real soft spot for Tom. He wants yeah, to get Tom, Tom out of there. He doesn't want him to be used as a pawn in all this. Purple Haze doesn't know this. He just wants to get information. So he just th- throws the photo right up in Tom's face and's like, "Hey, recognize this person?" And I'm sure at that point Tom is looking for anything that could be his daughter. So if he sees a picture, does this look does she look familiar or does she look like your daughter? You know, you, if you have in your mind you want it to be that person or that image, I think more than likely you're going to be like, "Yeah, that's definitely her. I know it." Yeah, and he he pretty much loses it immediately and is like, that's her, breaks down. And um, Roland gives uh, Wayne quite the admonishing for doing this and is like, get back in the room. Because I think Roland's really, I think he's a good guy at heart and I think he really does care uh, about Tom, um, you know, more so more so than he probably would like the rest of them to know. But he knows how to he knows how to play the game too, and he even mentions that to, to Hayes is that, you know how Roland got ahead and got promoted, was that he did play the political game a little bit, and Hayes could never do that, and that's why, uh, Hayes had to get out of the business altogether, really. So after, Dad Purcell, sees the picture and everything. They hold this news conference, which I'm I'm not sure who was pushing for that. They, they don't a, really explain that, do they? It was a clear political stunt. They're yeah. They're trying to they're trying to get out front of it, and you know the undercurrent is it's really important to um to the administration that they don't overturn the posthumous conviction that they uh that they made, and um. Which, which uh, that was very, one, very predictable. I mean, like episode one, we were basically saying they're going to pin this on the garbage well, yeah, guy. Yeah, because Woodard looks like a, yeah, Woodard looks like, uh, you know, the exactly what you'd expect. He's a big, scary guy. He's, you know, not a Caucasian and, you know, it just Fair. fit too perfectly. Did you notice, so again, this is, I'll give credit to my wife for this one. So I'm watching that. You know, we're watching it together, watching that press conference scene. She spots a couple of people in the very beginning, like before they focus them at all. And she's like, hey, Woodard's kids are there. Oh, wow. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, yeah, there's a couple of kids back there that look just like him. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Well, sure enough. Well, yeah. Sure Um, enough. but, But they the way they revealed it was very subtle. It was like I think it was after uh Tom Purcell gives the whole speech about you know, my daughter's out there and wherever you are, come back to us. Or if you've got her, please let her go, blah, 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 blah. And then like it ends. And I can't remember if it was a reporter or just somebody in the room just starts talking about the Woodard, which is the trash man, his conviction and how this is going to lead to that potentially being overturned. And so they don't explain it in detail. Right. You know, they just kind of throw it out there. And if you're not familiar with the names, you it may have, like if you're literally, we just do it, you know, because it's easy reference. But if you were literally just referring to that guy as trash man the whole time, you might have been like 10 minutes behind everyone else figuring out that he's the one that they convicted of the crimes. So the kids that are there, they 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 say something to the effect of, well, we, you know, we want 
you know, his name cleared. And that to me could be the flimsiest plot point in this whole show. So this guy booby traps and blows up his own house, murders cops, neighbors, and they're like, FBI hey, agents. FBI agents, but like they're like, hey, he didn't kidnap those kids though. <laughs> we want his we want his name cleared <laughs> for murdering or for kidnapping those kids. Now he didn't yeah, shoot everybody that. else and blow up his house. That's fine, but he did not kidnap those kids. Right. But something else that happens right around that time though is in and again, this is another flimsy plot point. Purple Haze is looking at the crime scene photos and they found evidence at the crime scene um from the Purcell kids, so they found Will Purcell's backpack. This thing is pristine. Right. How how did it take them ten years to figure that out? You know, I mean, I feel like if if you look at the evidence again and you you find something and you go, wow, there was this insight there that I didn't see. Like it needs to be an insight, not that hey, the entire house is on fire and exploded, and then there just happens to be a backpack laying there, brand new, without a without yeah. a, a singe on it. Like yeah, it, it what kind of like police work was just... going on in 1980? Yeah, that you just pulled out of like the the plastic sleeve that it had been protected in during that whole time. So I mean, it leads to there's some kind of a cover up going on, and that that was obviously planted there. Right, or or the actual criminal themselves was able to gain access to the crime scene and you know uh, help yeah. help you know perpetuate their own part of the narrative. I I don't think you can automatically assume that it's a, a police conspiracy. But another thing that I want you to keep in mind here, and this is something that I came up with on my own. I don't think this is this is a big theory, but there's been several instances where it's referred to that somebody in a official capacity or impersonating a police officer is doing things involved in the case that aren't showing up in the official record. So you know, if you go back a couple episodes when they find the body, the guy that lives in the house right there is like, oh, yeah, somebody came and talked to me right afterwards. You know, somebody's accessed this crime scene and left evidence there. So there could be a rogue operator within the police force or somebody that's doing a really good job of, you know, impersonating police, impersonating investigators to gain access to all these different parts, um, you know, to kind of help cover up tracks and keep, uh, you know, keep the focus off of whoever, you know, whoever they're worried that the police might actually be focusing on. There's also previous reference multiple times to whatever Julie and her father did in 1990. And I don't think we've had that revealed to us yet. That seemed to be something that was shocking. Yeah. But we, I mean, uh, unless holding a press conference is, is, is the big payoff there. Because that didn't work out well from, as far as a response from a response standpoint from uh, what we think is Julie either. Right, and we and and again, I don't, I haven't really read any theories on what that could be, but there's so many, there's so many questions like that that are just floating out there right now. I feel like, I feel like we're gonna, we're we're due for one of those eye opener episodes where things start to really pop because. In a lot of ways, like what's been going on now, it's weird to watch because you know when you're watching 1980, you're like nothing, nothing's going to happen that's going to break the case wide open because we know it's not solved. So right. that even as you know, even as these little developments and interesting people are coming in and out, you're trying to piece it all together and go like, okay, when's the aha moment going to hit us and it's all going to connect? Because 
right now, yeah, it does feel like there's a lot of wheel spinning going on, just especially in the early the early timeline. Yeah, because I think the only other thing in that part of it that happened in this episode, um, which we already discussed, where the mom said that children should laugh more when she was talking to Amelia, and then that's discovered in the book when Hayes is reading in 2015. He's reading his, I guess, now deceased wife's book and sees that towards the end. And he gets real fired up about it, and I can't figure out why, because to me... It's like, okay, well, she's had that note in the house for a couple of weeks. She's probably yeah. read it a million times. That phrase might be right at the tip of her mind. I don't think it's that. I mean, I don't see what the the big aha, like, oh, this is this is game changing evidence was about that. No, I don't think that's I don't think that's going anywhere. I, I'm more just personally intrigued by the whole Julie and her father thing because Tom does the press conference and then the the police get a call that's a quote unquote anonymous, but it seems like it's supposed to be Julie basically saying that that guy who's saying is my father needs to leave me alone. And basically you don't understand what he did. And it goes back to like episode one where it was brought into question whether he really is her father or not. Exactly. And is this father, exactly. the father that, does whatever with Julie in 1990 might be someone we haven't even been introduced to yet. And that's where I think, and that's the theory that I like the most right now is that her real father is out there and that the mother knows who that guy is and Tom, poor Tom, the Patsy has no idea. Yeah. When they were, uh, when they were hot on the trail of trying to find Julie, they, kind of ran down this path where there was some 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 uh you know homeless you know street children that had kind of grown up on the streets that that had interacted with her and even the guy that they're talking to says basically like yeah she kind of lives in a fantasy world where she's you know referring to herself as you know this this made-up name and she's got this whole like princess castle like alternate reality thing going on so you know, it's not out of the question that there's some devious force at work that brainwashed her and, you know, convinced her that Tom wasn't her father. That is this what I mean. It was the person that actually is her father. I just think that maybe there um, there's a more plausible explanation that that that's the guy rather than uh, rather than it just being some, you know, some manipulator or guy playing mind games with her. Right. I'm interested in that theory very much. So I think along the 1993, the only other scene I, I just made note of was uh, the Hayes's. They go and have dinner over at Roland's house. And guess who's guess who's there with Roland? Well, it's it's Miss uh, Lady that he had noticed at church ten years earlier. They just happen to happen to. They're not married because no, they they are, they ask co- about they are that. cohabitating. Yeah, so I guess her, I guess her true love waits card was not laminated like mine was, but hey, I we offer no judgments here. Faith based, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, but that that was uh that scene was interesting. That didn't go very well for Amelia as she's trying to uh, ask additional questions about the reopened case in the task force, and Roland's okay with 
sharing some information, but Hayes is definitely like, man, you just need to pass the potatoes and basically just keep your head down, and that's it. Don't we feel like Amelia is to blame for a lot of the awkwardness in that scene? Can't she clearly see he doesn't want to talk about work and just let it go? Yeah. I mean, if you were, well, I, mean, I mean, if you were over at somebody's house and having a dinner, and they kept asking you like all of these questions about the cold cut combo, and you know, Italian fair. urban cheese bread, and you're like, look, I work all day. I'm trying to have yeah. a nice dinner here. I don't want to explain to you again, you know, how we, you know, mix the salt and pepper in one shaker and and uh, you know, exactly bake it don't. fresh daily in house. Like you don't want to talk about work when you're not at work. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I've been there. You know, I've I've had that conversation. You just have to you have to put in a put an end to it. So, um, so yeah, that didn't go too well and then i don't know what else you have from this last episode i just have the uh you know the final extended scene from 2015 where they track down roland and he's at his uh his house out in the woods yeah pretty spare i mean it's kind of a cool place but it's kind of a strange existence he's leading now he's he's got a kennel full of stray dogs that are just mm -hmm. going nuts and he feeds them dog food and eggs. Yeah, so he makes them. Yeah, he makes them eggs, and then I guess if you're a good dog, you get scrambled eggs. Yeah. And he's living by himself. He's clearly just spending his day sitting on his porch, just dr drinking. And there, there's not another human being in sight. I mean, I always kind of caught Roland as the more sociable of the two, and now he's, he's basically leading a life of of forced solitude. Yeah, he's not with Lady from Church anymore. He's just feeding dogs and drinking drinking it seemed like it was coffee and crown royal if i if I had the combo right from the context and let me tell you boost. something that combo is right uh, okay I'm especially not if you're in person. vegas that's a good that's a good combo fair enough. He seems to be drinking it round the clock from what we from what we see so uh, this and this scene was fine, and I you know. Old man Roland is kind of funny to to look at, and I did you kind of dig his scene, but it seems like it was just a repeat of the end of an episode, I guess two episodes before, when it's Roland approaching Hayes about let's get the band back together and look yeah. into this, and Hayes is just doing the same thing to him twenty five years later. Yeah, and you know, other than the fact that they finally get around at the point where they are, they do seem like they're going to try to work together again. Which is which is kind of you know kind of funny, but also you know I'm interested. I'm I'm on board. They don't really totally dive into why there was this long gap. I think it was like 24 years where they didn't talk to each other. But clearly something happened towards the end of the the 1990 time frame. And whether that's that they they killed Daniel Bryan, or they killed AJ Styles, or they killed the new Daniel Bryan, we're not sure. But something happened that um, that they. Uh, you know, caused some kind of a fracture in their relationship. And what's funny is um, he even asks Purple Haze when they're old, because, you know, Purple Haze confesses, you know, that he's that he's having trouble remembering and recalling. And he said, well, you know, what about the one thing? And he said, oh, I remember that. And I remembered you told me not to say anything about it. So I think there's gonna, yeah. there's going to be some, you know, some more some more interest. But you know, they almost took O'Brien out when they had him in the trunk of the car in 1980. So it's it's funny to see that they um, 
you know, my hypothesis is that they finished the job 10 years later. Right. Um, but you mentioned like having the, uh, you know, the episode that just really shocks everybody. We only got three more left. Yeah, and and I'm, and I'm kind of of the mind now where we need things to start happening. I feel like we've we've yeah, done I a think... ton of character development. Yeah, we've got some really compelling scenes, but we need things to start happening now. Like the I feel like the last two or three, there hasn't really been a lot that's happened, other than the big shootout with Woodard. Like I feel like there's yeah. just been there's been a lot of of groundwork being laid for things to start falling into place, and I'm. You know, I'm hoping that it's going to pick up from here. Yeah, I feel like we need to see a lot in episode six, and then and then maybe seven just kind of sets everything up for the finale. But if we get through another episode and we're still just kind of spinning our wheels a little bit, my prospects for this thing ending and being great are not not real good. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll uh I'll tell you like my uh. Actually, I don't, I'm going to use this analogy and then I'll apologize in the next episode. But my um, my opinion of the show so far was kind of like Drew McIntyre's run at the Royal Rumble. Like when he came out, I was standing up, I was saluting, things were looking good, things were looking good. Then they level out, and there's only one or two things that can happen: either Dolph Ziggler comes in or he doesn't. And <laughs> right. I think that's what's going to happen in the next three episodes: is is are we going to hear his music hit or not? because yeah. there's really only two ways this can go from here. No, that's fair. Okay. Well, I don't have, I, I I'm still enjoying the show, mm -hmm. but I, I, the, the prospect that we get to the end of this thing and I'm just kind of like, Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, that was it, huh? it's looming there for sure. It's yeah. looming. So this is so. going to be, uh, this episode is going to be a special Saturday release. So I, I was traveling all this week. We, we got back from our trip. Um, we just didn't get a chance to re record at our normal time. So I say Saturday release. It's going to be a Sunday release. We're recording it on a Saturday. So as, as a matter of fact, tomorrow's the Super Bowl. Um, That's right. Since I now live by myself in Tennessee, I'm having a real big Super Bowl party with myself. Uh, <laughs> okay. You're absolutely invited to come over if you want to catch a Southwest flight. I'm going to grill burgers. Weather's supposed oh, to be nice. nice. Man, excellent. Might, uh, make a little queso, you know. Don't want to get too crazy. Man. Can't get that here. Uh <laughs> I uh, I want to give my game prediction. Um, it's not so much as a prediction as a plea, but um, old Tommy really needs New England to win this game. Okay. Really, really need New England to win this game. Uh, got my action spread out a lot uh, with a lot of different people, but I've got New England in every... I, there's not any scenario where the Rams winning benefits me in any way. All right. So I am uh I'm fully aligned with Mr. Brady and uh I am hoping for a uh for a Patriots victory in a, in a big way even though historically I think in every Super Bowl they've been in they've almost all been close. So Yeah, they're all they're all close. I think I want to say last year's was the widest margin and that was 8 points in eight, any of the times eight, they've eight been in. 8 point margin and and under the total would be just about perfect for me. Okay. Well, uh listening to sports talk radio after we got back into Dallas this week. I, I noticed that Norm put a double play on the Rams and on the under. So I will be picking the Patriots <laughs> and for the game to go over. And I'm gonna put everything that I own that I own on that. So that's my that's my Super Bowl prediction. So I think the over under is like fifty six, so we gotta go above fifty six. So uh I don't know. 
like 34 to 28 Patriots, something like that. I like it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with uh, partially with Norm. I'm going to go low scoring. I'm going to say Patriots 24 to zero. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, otherwise, next episode will definitely be about our trip out to Phoenix for the Royal Rumble. And we're not going to, I'm not getting into any details, specifics here. I'm just saying, I hope we can contain it all within an hour yeah, of discussion. You're not going to want to miss this episode. There are a lot of things that it's taken every bit of willpower I've had not to disclose in this episode. You you will be uh, you'll be thoroughly entertained, but we could not do it justice without Point Break Dave because he was a linchpin in a lot of what happened in this episode. If you will, and and the the operation that Point Break Dave and I pulled pulled off, if you will, in the Hotel Renaissance lobby last Sunday night was, I, I think it was unfortunately compared to Ted Bundy at one point, but that, that, that's just your tease for episode 108 right there. Said, we're both in